This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 5.11, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 5.11 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 5.11 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 5.11tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you'll get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 524 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Dr. Chad Eldridge. Now, Chad was initially on a path of modern medicine and found himself taking a fork into chiropractic and functional medicine. And this more holistic path led him to foundation training, animal flow, Graston technique, and so much more, ultimately earning his nickname, The Movement Mechanic. So we discuss a host of topics from obesity, the importance of movement, overcoming back pain, and so much more. Before we get to that conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on. Subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and most importantly, leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it more and more visible for others to find. And this is a free library for you, planet Earth. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to everyone else who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Dr. Chad Eldridge. Enjoy. So Chad, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that this is something that should have been, I don't say should have been done, but could have potentially been done years ago. You know, Eric and Jesse from Foundation Training are mutual friends um, and your names come up over and over again. Um, so, but the universe has an interesting way of making this happen when it's supposed to happen. And based on what we just spoke about before hit and record, I think this is the perfect time. So I want to start by welcoming you on the podcast. Oh, I appreciate it. I uh, thank you for having me. It's uh it's uh, it's an honor to be to be asked. So, where on planet Earth are we finding you today? I am in Venice, California. I know that's not where you're originally from. So, let's start chronologically at the beginning. Where were you born? And then tell me a little bit about your family dynamic, what your parents did, and how many siblings. Uh, I was born in uh, Leesburg, Florida. So, I don't think it's a place that many people have ever heard of. Um, but yeah, I was born in central Florida area. Um, and just my parents, they, my mom worked in the health field. So she worked in nursing, uh, at the beginning of, um, my life. And my father worked in, um, was a truck driver. He was also into warehouse work and things of that nature. So I've grown up at the beginning stages of my life in, uh, in doctor's offices, uh, running around offices and, getting into stuff I probably shouldn't have. Um, I do have one younger brother. He's six years younger than me. But when I was younger, um, my mom actually got sick. So she developed lung cancer. So at a young age, kind of kind of got moved uh, up and moved from where I was at um, with all my friends to back to Central Florida uh, without the knowledge of what was going on. So it was one of those things where they kind of protected me and didn't let me know what was going on. All I knew was there was a move happening and my life was getting up and changed. Um, so there was a, a 
a weird dynamic in terms of that where you, as a young child, you see stuff, but you don't understand why it's happening. Um, you don't notice, uh, you notice certain things, but you're like, did I do something? Is it something I can help with? Um, but my, my main thing when that happened was I played sports and I just dove myself into sports. Like, so that was my, like my therapy and trying to figure stuff out was just be good at sports and be good at, uh, at school and try to be a good kid altogether. Cause you can notice things are going on. And you're just like, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be bothersome. I'm just going to, to do my thing. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially where kind of everything started. And, uh, my journey of injuries galore uh, as a child, um, constantly, once again, being in and out of doctor's offices, not so much anymore because my mom worked there, but because I was constantly injuring myself, which probably led to where I'm at today. But um, it was just a great experience to be able to go through a plethora of crazy injuries from concussions to breaks to sprains to tears to running into barbed wire fences. Like it was it was one of those things I just happened to be a very energetic kid and uh, without a really fear of trying or doing things. So it led me to a lot of a lot of doctor's offices. Now, your mom's journey, was she able to overcome the cancer? She did. Um, the crazy thing is uh, she was given six months to live when I was 12 years old. So that was when really the, the conversation came about of this is going on uh this is something that's happening uh and it was like that shock of like oh okay uh all right let's see what we can do but she she kind of just went with it as like i'm gonna live my life experience life and um start just doing things that are in that she enjoyed and uh six months turned into seven months to eight months to then just today she's still you know she's still kicking uh, so it was, it was one of those things where it's an inspiration. It's one of those things where when you start to realize that this is, this stuff was going on and she was never one to complain. She was never one to, uh, you know, ask for sympathy or anything of that nature. She realized that it is what it is. I'm going to attack this thing with what I have and, uh, just go at it as opposed to just giving up. She kept fighting. So it's, it's, it was an inspirational aspect, um, and seeing that, um, but also it stemmed from cancer to then, uh, back issues. So it just turned in from that to becoming like herniations and consistent back issues, which then stemmed to multiple surgeries. Uh, so I just remember, you know, times when I was, uh, playing football games, she would show up on stretchers cause she just had surgeries, but she didn't want to miss a game. So it's one of those where you're like, okay, uh, all my issues that I may think may be going on, that's happening. So it's kind of like, it makes every, take everything into perspective. So it's, um, but yeah, she's still, she's still kicking. Uh, she's had multiple surgeries since then and, you know, battles certain issues such as pneumonia and, and other illnesses, um, but once again, she keeps going at it. So it's a, it is an inspiration. Absolutely. Now, which sports did you find yourself playing? I, uh, like I played a little bit of everything, but the main two were football and baseball. Um, those were the ones I was drawn to and played the most. Uh, I did play one season or two of basketball, but it was more just like just show up on the court and go and play. Like I had no clue structure wise what I was doing. It was more just go a hundred miles an hour and 
just try to do whatever. But football and baseball were my main uh, two main sports that you know I st- I just succeeded in and fell in love with and put most of my time and effort into. Well, now you have you know a, a, a different lens as a chiropractor, as someone who works with a lot of athletes as well. Um, one of the things that was very shocking to me when I first moved to the U.S. was how many. 18, 19, 20 year olds or, you know, or older had the, I could have been great stories until I blew out my MCL, my ACL, my shoulder, you know, slap tear this and, you know, herniated that. Um, and we don't really see that in the UK. And I think one of the issues for, you know, one of the differences, and we talk about this with other coaches on here is in the UK, there isn't that like incredible elite level in high school and college Maybe, maybe more in college, but definitely not in high school. So then people continue to play. So they don't have the overuse injuries and they don't stop. What I saw here was an incredible level of athleticism until they break. And then it's more like an Uncle Rico story after that, you know, and their decondition, which is, which is heartbreaking because sports are supposed to be about fun and fitness. So through your lens now, when you look back at, at your, your childhood or maybe just, you know, school sports in general, what are the, some of the things that you see people do well? And what are some of the things that you think lead to our children getting hurt? Um, well, I think in terms of, Doing well, uh, if you open up the child to playing and experiencing multiple things, um, you're seeing less and less of that. But it, like, if you look at most of the best athletes out there, they played multiple sports. They were exposed to multiple um, things. They tried different things. They played. They did a, a complete like variety of um, things. So they were able to build up a toolbox of movement capacities and just overall just enjoying enjoying themselves um because i personally played a little bit of everything but then went into more specialized stuff and i in terms of the uncle rico thing i experienced the same thing where i had to have a, sh- a shoulder surgery my senior year of high school which kind of derailed a lot of things and had injuries that um kind of kept me from really going at stuff um but yeah i think nowadays you're seeing a lot of injuries that shouldn't happen because there's a lot of specialization specialization in sports. You're having kids at young ages play year round baseball, like people see potential in them. And as opposed to letting them be a kid and exploring and playing and trying new things, they go, Oh, this could be your scholarship. This could be your, you know, ticket uh, to making it big when you're, you're, you're older. It could be your, your career. And you kind of put them in a position in which now you're focusing on one thing one skill, uh, one movement year round, you're getting coaching on it year round, you're constantly practicing it. And then you start to see these overuse injuries, or you start to see like kids burning out at young ages and they're no longer playing it because they're enjoying it. They're playing it because it's a job. It's, it's, it's their way out. And that could be a good thing. It can give you some discipline, but in the long run with anything, unless you have some joy in it, you're, you're, there's not that much stress and focus on having to be the best at a young age, um, you're going to be a little bit more apt to continue to do it. Um, but you're seeing that that's one of the main things, especially in Florida, because like in Florida, it's beautiful year round. So you're seeing travel baseball year round. You're having kids play on multiple teams. You're getting kids uh, pitching long innings, multiple innings, multiple days um at a young age and they're just not able to actually you know adapt to the stress so you're seeing tommy john surgeries at age 14 and kids you're seeing things that never 
would have happened back in the day when these specific, you know, AAU teams and travel teams and things weren't around. So I think in terms of what's good, there's a multiple variety of things that kids can play. I think we have a, you know, we're being exposed to a lot of things uh, in sports that before in the U.S., I know when I was younger, wasn't shown as much. So you're seeing soccer much more or, or football, whatever you want to call it. Uh, much more often, uh, so you're having kids getting into that. You're seeing golf, you're seeing tennis, you're seeing a lot of these sports that were kind of specialized that you would have to have somebody to introduce you to. You're being introduced uh, via, you know, TV and other aspects. So you have a variety of things that kids can introduce to, but you're also specializing way too soon. And you're putting stress on kids and not allowing them to be kids. Yeah. What's so great, I remember my dad telling me, if you want to learn about something, don't read one book, read three books. And that's exactly it. So when I ask this question, I get that over and over again. So there's the common denominator is, you know, that pretty much all the high level athletes are multi-sport athletes. And, you know, that, that repetitive use injury is, is what's you know, leading to a lot of these. Another, even another one that I've noticed because my son just went back to school and he started high school. So I was watching the, you know, as I was driving by the high school football team. And there's these giant, obese, 17, 16-year-old kids. And again, I'm wondering, like, are those fitness professionals whose goal should be the well-being of these children, are they telling them to lose weight, even though you might not be as good a linebacker? Or are they telling them, go home and eat cakes because you're going to be an asset to the team? So even there, as, as a school athletic um, figure, you know, where is that line between wanting to win a game and fostering longevity in the health of the child? I mean, it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough line because even in high school sports, a lot of time these coaches are under that pressure of winning. It's depending on the program, there's some programs like you just you're not expecting much, but uh, there's certain programs out there that. Yes, the the winning factor comes into play. There's that that pressure from the school. There's the pressure from the community. There's the pressure from, uh, you know, the the, the parents of the kids. Um, but you also got to realize that you're dealing with kids. So it is that it's it's a challenge. Like it's hard to say. Like yes, my job could be on the line, but at the same time, the well being of these kids are there. And like with anything, you have to look at it and a standpoint is do no harm. Like yes. You want to win, but at the long run, if you see somebody um, in front of you that is a child, it doesn't matter how big they are. It doesn't matter how athletic and gifted they are. They are still a child. Um, and you got to realize that your your actions, your decisions are going to affect that kid in a positive or a negative way. Um, but yes, you'll, you'll see a lot of it where winning gets ahead of the, the well-being of the child. They, they will put them out there injured. They will ask them to do things that they shouldn't be doing. Um, they will put them into positions that is not the greatest opportunity for success or even health in the long run. And they got to understand that a lot of these kids aren't going to go into being a college superstar, go into being a professional athlete. So they're there to have the experience. And if you're putting them at risk where one injury or some decision-making skills or lessons you're teaching them carry over into their college years and their adult years, it could be detrimental. And I mean, me alone, I was, I mean, I was good, but I got, by no means would you look at me and go, this guy's going to make it the NFL. And I was asked to, you know, hold back a year because 
I might be bigger the next year or to go out there and play with concussions and all these things. And in the long run, like I would do it because I wanted to win and I didn't want to let people down and I enjoy playing. But looking back, knowing what I know now, I'm like, oh, well, you know, probably not the greatest idea. It probably wasn't the best advice. Um, so it, it, I mean, that's when the responsibility of the parent comes into play as well is to, you know, have to make those tough decisions and realize is, you know, my kid's health at risk and step in or, you know, realize that these people need to put less pressure on the fact that these coaches need to be always winning at no matter what the cost is says it would make the decisions a lot easier on on them as well but there's i i I have empathy for both sides so it's one of those things is it's hard it's tough yeah well i think it's a a much needed voice though because we hear the other voice all the time put your kids in camp travel ball which i never understood in the state of florida you're telling me you can't find teams that will challenge your team you have to go to different states I find that crazy. We've got half of, you know, South America and the Caribbean here. There's, there's a lot of really good kids that will whoop your kids' ass. Um, but no, we, we do need to have that other balancing side, though. And you look at, um, you know, some of the places like Norway, the way they school, even even on the academic side, they're not doing these standardized tested, testing. They're teaching the whole child. So whether that's on the sporting side or the academic side, they're trying to foster a love of movement, a love of um, of learning, a love of, you know, intrigue rather than, Let's get this score so our school can get this budget next year, which again is not in the interest of the child. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, I mean that's a huge thing, and I've actually um, have some people I work with that they you know they have children that are in specialized schools in terms of ways they learn. So they're not even just they're looking at what's the best way this child this child is going to um, learn and develop and every kid's going to be different because everyone comes in with different you know different issues different uh, interests different beliefs different backgrounds and in the long run it's got to be what is going to improve upon the child and I think you know education I'm a big proponent of you know, getting an education and learn, but learning, not just spurting out answers on a test, but truly engaging in a subject and understanding the subject. It's not, if you're just testing to get a score, like you're just learning to take the test. You're not learning to implement that stuff into life. Or are you putting yourself in a position and when you're, you know, older in, you know, your career or anything like that, when things aren't black and white, this answer or this answer, and you have to figure it out and understand that there's multiple ways to get the answer. Um, I think that's what you're seeing is a lot of people that can't handle life situations because all they've done is learn good, uh, learn enough to pass a test or, you know, get good enough to do said task as opposed to really fostering the curiosity of learning. And, you know, some kids don't test well. And if you're just going to tell that kid he's stupid because he didn't pass a test, now you've put a situation where they're they're hesitant to try new things because in their mind they're stupid. Uh, so you've you've hindered that child for the rest of your life. And then until they realize, maybe hopefully they realize down the line that that's not the case, um, they'll be open to trying new things, open to you know having to work through and struggle uh, as they attempt to learn. Um, so I think yeah, I think you're seeing that some of these other countries in the way they've they've, they've structured education, how they value education, how they value the way um, they go about uh, teaching children is 
you know, it may not be what you know here, but it's you see a lot of benefit and the good that's coming out from it. And I think if we were just open to learning and seeing from other countries and how and how they implement things and the the results that you see and not just be so focused on making everything political, I think we'd have a better outcome down the line. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a guy, uh, Passy Salberg on, who's from Finland originally. He's in Australia now, but he travels the world talking about the Finnish system, which, you know, when you look at the rankings, usually they're at the top. Um, and it's amazing. Like I said, it's holistic and they they put more resources into some of the poorer areas rather than the reverse that we see here. They they holistically look at the child. Their days are shorter. Um, you know, they don't have homework, I forget, till at least I think it's almost like high school level, at least, at least well into middle school, you know, and all these little things. And they're smashing us when it comes to academia. So having the humility to realize that maybe somewhere else they're doing it better and we can go, hey, can we can we learn how to do that? Rather than, as you said, politicizing things, which we've seen the last year and a half is obviously a very ineffective way of leading a nation. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but having the humility and, and saying, hey, we're America and we do these things really well. Can we share some ideas with you about prisons, about education, about drug policy, so that we yeah. can have the same success that you guys are having? Yeah, I think that's gonna be with everything though. I think with anything you you have to be humble and put your ego aside to be open to being wrong or open to maybe uh, knowing that your way is not the best at certain things. Um, and that's essentially what learning is, is you know having a hypothesis if we're talking about science and challenging that to see, is it right? It, and being open to being wrong uh, and knowing that you might be right in certain situations, but in others, it may not work. And I think, yeah, if we just put that thing aside of like, I need to be right, I need to be the best, I need to be this, and being like, I'm open to interpretation, I'm open to other other ways of doing things, I think you'd see a lot of positive outcomes that come, that, that come through that. And I, I think I saw some, letter or some uh, I think it was from like Singapore or something I could be completely wrong but it was a teacher you know a letter to a student saying that you know there's a standardized test coming up and your student your your child may do really well on it and that's that's great but he's like but don't um don't diminish or put down your your child if they don't do as well because there there may be an artist that's going to be creating some beautiful piece of you know, art, there may be this, you know, carpenter that's doing this, there may be so-and-so that's doing this, and the standardized test doesn't bring out those skills, those those attributes that those kids have, it's just a test. Um, it doesn't correlate to future success, it doesn't correlate to them being very good at other things, um, it just shows that they are good at taking a test. I mean, and I think that's, that's where it is, it's you know, you might not be good at one thing, but you might be exceptional at everything else. And that's that's what, you know, community should be like. You need people that are good at things you're not good at so that everything can run in a proper manner. Mm -hmm. Well, I saw that with my own family. My son struggled academically, especially around grade three, four, um, almost got held back, but he just put in work. We, we gave him um, some extra coaching um, and uh then he ended up fast forward a couple more years on AB honor roll the last few years, but the FSAs here, he always did terribly on. I'm like, don't worry about it. It's just, it's a number. The fact that consistently through an academic year, you've got those through the way you've behaved and your compassion and your, your hard work and your, your work that you have done. That's cumulative. So much more important than, than this test. And my wife, 
she's in optometry school now, but she got basically all A's and B's in college for all their prereqs. And there's a test called the OAT that they have to take to get into optometry school. And she could not pass that damn test. And it was like 500 bucks every test. She took it twice. It's $1,000 for a standardized test. And she ended up doing a bridge program that, you know, circumnavigated that. And, and she got all A's and B's in that too, you know. So two very, very close to home stories to, to un, you know, underline what you just said. Yeah, I mean, I was horrible at the SATs, like, I mean, the same concept is like school was easy, like was very good, excelled, A's, you know, did all this extracurricular activity. But if you made me sit down and have to take a test, uh, like I, I couldn't stand it. Like I would be the one that's just like, I'm done with this. And I just start like Christmas treeing it or just like glancing and answering. Granted, I took every SAT the day after a football game. So I may have been concussed. But uh, but it's just it's the same thing It's like some people just don't do well on standardized tests. And that doesn't dictate that they're not highly intelligent and able to solve problems. It just means that sometimes they don't like sitting down and looking at just blatant question answer type of things. They want to be able to use their brain to you know, problem solve or, you know, figure out other aspects or you know, create the puzzle and solve the puzzle. It's not just because you can pick an answer out or have the ability to sit down and read it. It's a skill. That's why they have tutoring specifically for standardized tests, because it is a skill to be able to take take one of those things. But yeah, it took forever to get into the college I ended up getting into in a normal like uh, session because my like my scores were not conducive to what I would do in the classroom. And then finally, it was just like, all right, what do I need to make? And I got exactly that. So it was just enough to get me in. But yeah, those those tests are horrific. Uh, they just yeah. And I think I mean, I might be wrong, but I know some of the colleges and stuff are kind of doing away with purely the SAT scores and the ACT scores, but, um, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's teaching a child or teaching anyone that struggle is good, like being able to overcome that struggle and keep on going at it and keep on going at it, uh, shows that, you know, you're not going to be automatically good at something. Uh, you may be, and that's great, but for the most part, you're going to be bad at start and you just keep on going and keep on going and you have the ability to get better and better and better. And I think that's a better life lesson uh, than just trying to tell everyone they're, you're, you're a genius. You're great. You've done, you can do no wrong. Cause in the end, that's going to come back to bite you. Absolutely. Well, I want to get through your kind of, you know, journey into chiropractic and then becoming the movement mechanic. Um, but just before we do, you, you told me you just went on a very powerful trip and I want to get to the trip towards the end but um one thing i always ask people when we're talking about you know their their school ages is there's a lot of people that come on here that found themselves struggling mentally emotionally later in life and when they look back there were elements of their childhood that were definitely the nucleus of that when you look back i mean obviously you just talked about you know almost losing your mother to cancer were there any areas of your childhood that kind of surfaced more recently when you did start kind of analyzing your your life up to this point oh i mean yeah i mean the same things that grew like drew on strength and gave me motivation were also the same things that kind of uh hindered me in ways because knowing that at a young age that my mom got cancer and we just upped and moved uh 
there was never discussed. Uh, and this is not like any downfall, like things happen and things happen, but it was never like told me that was why. So as a young kid or like most human beings in general, you create stories in your head for why things are happening. Is it my fault? Is it this? Is it that? Um, so just not knowing and seeing eternal struggle or seeing strife or seeing this and not really discussing it kind of laid a foundation of let me not talk about stuff. Like it was like a, a way of automatically internalizing everything. Um, so as a child, like I went to be the, try to be the best kid. Like I had, I wanted to be perfect. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to ruffle feathers. I wanted to succeed at anything I did. Um, if issues would come about, I would just deal with it, like figure it out, go through it, which is a good aspect. But in the long run, you tend to, it could be a thing that in certain situations hinders you. So I was perfectionist. Uh, I put a lot of, I put a lot of stuff on my shoulders. Uh, I try to fix things or figure things out on my own and I just eternalize everything. So it worked out as a young child in certain situations, uh, even in adult life and things that I would do, uh, it helped me certain aspects succeed and it gave me that grit to keep on going through and pushing through no matter what. But in the long run, uh, you start to see, and I personally started to see things, um, where I, I would internalize everything. I wouldn't ask for help. I would, uh, was not comfortable talking about emotions or even understanding what I would feel. Like it was one of those things where I didn't ever, show it as a child I was, I was smile on my face no matter what i'm i'm the happy go lucky kid and that turned into the same thing in college and turned into the same thing later on life so i was really good at not showing my hand of what was really going on in my head or what was really going on in life um so it kind of came it kind of came to a head uh last year where i am i'm a pretty fit person. I, I can say I can do things that a lot of people would say, oh, that's, that's, that's good. You're, you're healthy. You're this. Uh, but I started to get a heart issue. Like I started to get like heart pains. Um, first I thought it was just a, a whatever, like it, was, it would be like a stabbing pain in my chest. And, uh, I'd be like, I just, once again, would fight through it to keep on going. And then it became where I couldn't walk upstairs without being out of breath or I couldn't do this. And finally it was like, all right, let's go get something checked out. <clears throat> and granted, got all the tests on, nothing. Like there was nothing in the blood work. There was nothing on a chest x-ray. Echoes, cardiologists are like, your heart is completely fine. And then come to realize that it was stress related. Like I had internalized so much stuff. I had uh, just taken on so much stuff and didn't deal with a lot of the uh, things going on in my life that I should have. Um, Granted, I would t any physical thing that you put in front of me, I'm going to attack it. Uh, any like educational thing, I'm going to attack it. But when it came down to emotional things, uh, when it came down to certain aspects of relationships, if it came down to realizing insecurities and like self-worth issues, those were all big things that were driving my decisions, that were driving uh, my actions and it came to a head to the point where the heart issue came into play and uh, relationships 
kind of dwindled. Like that, a, a relationship I was in, person I loved, it was great, but certain stresses were happening, certain even things going on in the relationship were happening. I had no emotional intelligence to be able to deal with it. And I just isolated myself. Like I, I pulled away. I wasn't uh, the best partner. Uh, and then it led to like, you know, self-medicating here or there. Like when it came to maybe a, a drinking incident in which I uh, decided like something happened, triggered me and I, I drank and then it just wasn't good. So, uh, so there's a lot of realizations of realizing that I have been dealing with that issue for so long. And you, you, you take a step back and realize that, okay, like I may be good at a lot of things, but this is something that I'm very not well equipped uh, with. So I went all in uh, therapy, uh, full on, which was one of the best decision making things I could have done. Uh, and you start to dig deep into certain things. You start to realize a lot of stuff about yourself. You start to realize a lot of things that you would um, run from or uh, not handle and how that came about and how that ended up determining, turning into unhealthy uh, decision-making skills. So this whole year has been a big grow, growing year where you, like I said, I don't, I still do it. Like I'm therapist therapy once, twice a month, uh, diving into things, uh, being very aware and open about, uh, what's going on in my life and not shaming the, the imperfections that you may have. Um, just being open to knowing that, you know, no one's perfect. Uh, and once you do that, you kind of, you kind of depowerize those things and you have a better ability to go after it. Um, realize that uh, I had utilized certain things as self-medication, uh, either it being alcohol here or there, it being work, it being exercise, it being whatever, as opposed to dealing with uncomfortable situations, I would dive into those. Uh, head first into work when I got here, uh, once I moved back, never developed hobbies, didn't you really utilize uh, time to develop and foster good relationships. So when all that stuff came to a head, like all I had was work and uh, it became unhealthy that way too. You burn out. Uh, so this journey was a year of self-reflection, uh, realizing faults, realizing imperfections, being okay with it, and then working to strive to improve upon those things. Uh, and then that succeeded at the end, just, Machu Picchu, like I ended up going to Peru. It's been something I wanted to do and I just pulled the trigger. It came about and I just decided to do it. And it was like a, yeah, it's just that in like a bookmark in terms of a lot of growth and self-reflection. And it was just a beautiful trip. So how firstly were you able to to travel with all the restrictions? Because I'm about to go to, to the UK and just that has been enough to want to choke myself it's been ridiculous but um and then talk to me about that you know obviously you're you're navigating that path but emotionally what that did for you uh well the travel restriction i just got lucky um i'll say it you can say fate and say whatever but um i wanted to do it i started just researching peru and a, a meetup group popped up peru trip and, I, and it was in august because that's where i wanted to go so I didn't really have to circumvent all that stuff. Like it was already done for me, but the, well, Peru, it's, there was different, um, 
different restrictions. Like as long as you got a test prior to going, uh, you were fine. They they do have things like you have to have double masks on. Uh, everything you walked in, they're checking temperature. They're because I mean their country is tourism. That's how they survive. So once things started clearing up and the numbers started going down a little bit, they opened it up, but with restrictions and um, luckily there was no issues. Like obviously when you're, you have a trip plan that you're excited for and that COVID test that you take, uh, you're just like, it's the, I and mean, I got tested every week during the whole pandemic for clients and patients I was working with. So I was used to it, but it's that one test where you're like, this could keep me from doing the trip I want to do. Um, but other than the, the testing and the, um, doing the restrictions, there was really no purely hassles and the trip for the most part, we were out on a trail hiking for five days. Uh, so it wasn't like you weren't in, in close quarters, you weren't in the city for the most part. So it wasn't that big, but I do know other countries have different things, but I, I just go with the flow. Like I, I tend to just take on what happens and adapt to the situation and just didn't get too flustered over the deal. Um, but the emotional aspect of going through all this stuff, like it was, it was, I mean, it was rough. Like I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it's a, it's a, it's very eye opening. It's very humbling. It's very, um, you know, difficult to face your imperfections to basically look in the mirror and then look at situations and realize, wow, I was a shithead or man, like I thought you were an intelligent person. What, like, what are these decisions going for? But it's so easy to have shame and guilt about it at first. Um, but it was, I had a good, I had some support system around me that, you know, I had a great therapist that had friends that would, um, that I could speak to and talk to about things. And it becomes, I wouldn't say easier, but you become more, um, empathetic about yourself. Like you're not like, I tend to be somebody that will be very hard and very critical on myself. And once I kind of let go of the reins of beating myself up, it became a process that was more of, this is a process of growth. This is a process of healing. This is a process of betterment. You're not going to be perfect. Uh, I had to get, I even got a tattoo on my, I, I went and just got a tattoo on my forearm to remind myself of that on a consistent basis. But it's a, it's a very um, humbling thing. And I, I think it's something that maybe comes a little bit easier, but it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that is very worth the effort and very worth the, uh, the discomfort. Cause in the end, it's only going to be good. Um, and once again, like once you start realizing that you're not the only one, uh, once you start realizing that everyone in this, on this earth has stuff they're dealing with, um, some they're not dealing with it. Some they are, uh, you become less alone. You become less, uh, you don't beat yourself up as much and you just accept the stuff. And once you can accept it, like I said, you, you kind of take away the power of those imperfections and you take control and take the reins and it makes it a lot easier to deal with. But, um, if anybody thinks it's going to be easy, it's not, it's a challenge. And every day is a challenge. Every day you become aware of something else and it becomes actually a a healthy thing as opposed to a, uh, a shame thing. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm, I'm 
when I go, I'm going to be in England for a couple of days and then Portugal with my family for about 10 and then England for two days and come back. And when you said about this test could stop me going or not, I mean, I know exactly what you mean. And it's, yeah. it's the irony is these testings and restrictions have made me so stressed out that my immune system is probably in the toilet at the moment. But like yeah. a perfect example, I'm only going to be in the UK for two days. You're supposed to test on day two. And it says, even if you leave on day two, you still have to book and pay for the test, which is like 200 bucks each way, but you don't have to take a test. Do you know what I mean? So this is the kind of red tape and bureaucracy and it's, it's, it's maddening. I get the compassion element. I've got no problem testing, but like the home tests I have, they're fine for me to get on the plane, but they're not fine when I get to the UK, but they're fine for me to get on a plane leaving the UK, you know? So it's, yeah. it's a kind of a strange irony that, we're supposed to be making people healthier and more resilient, but I think a lot of this stuff is actually making people less healthy. These restrictions, telling them to stay inside, keeping them scared with all these news things. I mean, yes, it's real. From what I've learned from the people I trust, yes, vaccinations are working. I totally understand why people don't trust the vaccinations because we've had no leadership whatsoever. But, you know, so I'm very, very middle of the road. But the way that this has been handled, I think, is, you know, is, has made people more vulnerable, not less. Yeah, I mean, I... I the whole situation is one of those tricky ones because there's so much information out there you don't know and a lot of it's false and a lot of it's what's driving what's driving decision making what's driving uh the what's the narrative what's going on and that's the same thing in terms of making it political like once it becomes a political thing then it, it just turns into a who wants to win like one against the other, do this against that. And then you just start, yeah, you start seeing a lot of information out there that's misleading. And it's like, who do you trust? Which I understand, like, uh, from any standpoint. And the only, like, I wish I could give advice. Uh, like, the best thing would be is to not, to take a lot of the information you hear with a grain of salt and to do your due diligence and seek out where's the information coming from, uh, who's saying it, um, you know, read it from different point of views to kind of get an overall feeling about it. But yeah, I know it's, it's a stress. Like there is the constant stress, 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 stress of going through this red tape, going through this, do I got to do this? You got to do that. But at the same time is, um, you know, preparing your body to become more resilient is adapting to stress is taking the precautions that you can do to make your body more adaptive to stress. Because when it comes down to it, most disease, most injuries, most things going on with people is they're not in a, in, a, in a situation or position in which they can adapt to whatever stress is coming at them. So in terms of all the stuff that's going on, this is a you know, and also a time where you realize that things like meditation, things like getting outdoors, things like, you know, family time and uh, situations with loved ones are all going to help you become more adaptive and ability to handle a lot of this stuff. But it is true. Like, you know, like if we're looking at the immune response, we're looking at individuals and how they're, you know, happening and, and how they're coming at the whole situation is most people, not all like are not handling it very well. They've either, you know, they're, they're in such a state of, ah, like heightened state that they're not able to really, look at the information coming at them in a manner that's logical or making a, a, a decision or a rational decision. 
they're maybe going to, you know, going to ways such as alcohol or this or that to kind of calm themselves down. Or there's just that fear of who do I trust? Who do I believe? Like what's going to happen? Like, yeah, it's a, it's a weird, very crazy, crazy time. And, uh, all I can say is to find a support system that you can talk about these things with, uh, find healthy solutions to dealing with the stress. Um, but in the, in the long run too, you if you can get through this, like you'll be able to get through a lot of other things that happen in life. Uh, so I think we had the capacity to do it. It's just like, yeah, the leadership, the, the misinformation, the, 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 people putting against uh, each other against each other and saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, as opposed to just being compassionate about everyone and realizing it's their own life, it's their own decisions, and it's their own, you know, own, uh, yeah, own self to deal with. So I don't know. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a rough one. I wish it had answers. I'm not a virologist. I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a politician, so I can only do what I can do and try to support people in whatever way I can support people in. Absolutely. Well, I think your perspective, though, is very important. Not, I mean, getting off the COVID topic now, but one thing that, that I've held fast in this whole 18 months is, look, you know, whether you, whatever your philosophy on, on this, this virus, we have an obesity epidemic in this country. We yeah. have an opioid crisis going on. We have all these things that are killing people before this damn virus showed up. And I haven't heard one person that's got any of these stages, any of these platforms talking about that. And we yeah. could have, we could have been 18 months into a healthier nation. And I think one of the professions, you know, functional medicine, chiropractic, osteo, osteo, osteopaths, um, you know, that's the group of, of physicians that I think, you know, are, are the leaders when it comes to that, really, really educating the individual on their overall health so as you said we are more resilient whatever comes along um so kind of walk me through your your journey potentially for med school then chiropractic and then how you ended up searching more movement practices to really create more of a global look with the license that you had um well when i first got into the health field like i was in high school i was interning with an orthopedic surgeon so like i was orthopedic surgeon the whole way like that's where i would uh I'd watch ER, I'd watch house, like that would be like, I was just like, like, I'm a doctor, I'm gonna be an MD, that's what I grew up around. And then my injuries in high school, um, dealing with them with the orthopedic surgeon I I actually interned with, uh, it was a two year process. Like, so it it led me to the point where nothing was, I was, it was just a, a racket. Like I would get shots, Shoulder would still hurt. It, oh, it's just this. It's just the inflammation. Go do basic PT, which was ultrasound. Uh, it was back in the day. So this is way before a lot of this stuff was out there. But it was just the ultrasound, the this, that. You go back, painful. And they're just a round robin. And then the season was over. And then it happened again. And then it came to a point where the doctor had done MRI after MRI, shot after shot. Um, and it was just like, oh, your right shoulder is smaller than your left it may be a neurological condition. You may have to get your shoulder cut, your arm cut off. And I was like, oh, whoa, okay. Like I'm a, <laughs> Time I'm a 16 year old and you are saying you might get, have to get your arm cut off. I was like, what are you talking? Like, first of all, don't say the word might and arm cut off unless you were guaranteed, <laughs> unless these things are going on. So like it freaked me out, uh, obviously. And, um, 
I went to another doctor and eventually they just did surgery. And then the surgery did not, after the rehab, throw again, bam, the arm right back to it. So it, it deterred me away from the field altogether. Like I literally was just like, I'm done with this. Uh, I was a pre-med major to start out with and I got out. I just, I went to just randomly started picking majors and going undecided and just trying to figure out, you know, I had other things and other aspirations and I just went the, that route. And then, uh, always still within the health realm, uh, always still within nutrition and doing that stuff. And it's funny because, uh, I moved out to LA and I was working in talent management. I was working in production. I was working in that aspect. And, um, that's when Eric had moved into uh, Los Angeles from the chiropractic school he was in. So we kind of hadn't seen each other since undergrad um, and then kind of reconnected. I was in, in my field doing my thing. He was in chiropractic school and just talking. Like I started just talking with him about stuff. And I had family friends that were chiropractors growing up. Uh, my mom had worked at one of the offices. Um, so it was something that was in my realm like there was something there and um once again a a health issue of mine started where i started getting bad bad headaches uh stuttering like i couldn't speak at times uh like very sensitive to light uh i finally went to a doctor and in the actual thing the the guy's like oh it's just migraines and then i started stuttering talking to like I couldn't get sentences out he's like all right downstairs MRI there's like let's make sure you don't have brain cancer thing so that realization of um how unhealthy my career and life at that moment had taken me to that situation plus my mom's health being kind of where it was uh talking to Eric I up and moved back to Florida and then decided to go to chiropractic school so it wasn't like a lifelong goal. Like I, ne- it wasn't like I always wanted to go to chiropractic school. I just, in my mind, knew that I had been burned a few times in terms of conventional medicine. Like, uh, not that, not saying that all doctors are like that. My experiences drove me to realizing I had been burned a few times. Watching my mom struggle with her health, realizing that the way this was handled was not good. Like I didn't agree with it. Uh, having I get there. I'm like, what do I, I enjoy health. I enjoy, you know, nutrition. I enjoy exercise. What's something I can get into where I can get back and do helping people. And then I was just like chiropractic school. So I, I went into chiropractic school. Uh, I was at late. Let's say this is my third career. So this wasn't like I'm 28 going back into it. So I've had, you know, some living experiences, great times doing what I was doing. Um, so I go back into it and, uh, I love learning. So it was, it was a great experience, but at the same time, like I started questioning certain things that I'm learning in school. Like I'm one that like, just don't tell me it's this, like, I need to know how does the body work? Like what's the physiology, what's neurology, like the neurology. And I just, sometimes what you're taught in school at the time was to, once again, it was to pass your boards. It wasn't necessarily like you're just getting enough information to make your own determination, determining factors uh, to pass a test at the end, to continue to pass through the boards, have that knowledge. 
And it's up to you to take that knowledge and make it your own or make it your own determining factor. And like some of the stuff I was hearing did not resonate with me. Like, why are we learning this, 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 this is the, this is the thing it has to be. So I almost, there was a, there was a point in time where I was in that, do I leave like, or do I stick with it? And then I, I started like finding mentors and hearing other people that were in the professions or in other professions that spoke to me in terms of like movement, in terms of exercise, in terms of functional medicine. And from then I just, I stuck with it and realized that I can make this my own. Like I don't have to be this type of practitioner. I don't have to be this type of, of doctor. So I just kind of took that and just ran with it when it just, so that's where movement, it was all like, Oh, let me learn as much as I can about, uh, human body and movement and how, how this affects neurology, how this affects, uh, all the systems in the body. Um, I just went down rabbit holes. I went like, I immersed myself into all these things. And luckily I had great mentors that, um, took the time out to talk to me about these things. And even had, you know, having Eric as a friend that I've known forever and seeing the things he was doing and with foundation training and, um, some of the people he was working with and getting access to some of those people to ask them questions. Like it was a, a huge influence on my life. And, um, so I went down that, you know, the movement, the movement, uh, rabbit hole. And then that opened up into other opportunities where you meet people and learn more about the functional medicine aspects. Um, uh, I just got done actually taking a course, a, a functional sports medicine course, uh, with Dr. Ara uh, Supia, who's a huge mentor of mine that I, I knew prior in Orlando. He's based out of Orlando that come across each other and, um, learning his, you know, his journey and hearing his, his ways of how he, he looks at certain things. And, um, yeah. So like a lot of my ways of getting into things I got into were through mistakes or happen chance, like something happened and I've introduced to somebody and I'm like, oh, I, this speaks to me. So I, I dive into it. And I've been one that loves learning. Like I'm a very curious person. Uh, like give me a course, give me a book, give me an opportunity to learn something. Doesn't matter if it's in this profession or if it's something that does not relate to me at all. I enjoy taking in information. I enjoy learning. I, I'm like a kid still. I'm like a little kid walking through life, essentially, like fascinated by anything that's going on. Uh, so luckily I enjoy that aspect of it. Um, and I just said, I've had, I've had good mentors that have talked to me just realistically and tell them, tell me their, you know, their struggles and what led them to this and how they've looked at this and then went away from it and then came back to it and understanding that, you know, like everything's not going to work, but doesn't mean you throw it away. You can learn from any opportunity, anything, any person. Um, and that, that thing you learn can be useful. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not today, but down the line, something pops up and you're like, Oh, this I can implement into this situation. So that's kind of, that kind of what led me down this path of, constant learning it came from like i said my injuries my issues with doctors my my mother's issues with doctors um my could be my issues with authority that i don't want to be told that this is how it is so i seek out other stuff but like that that's what led me down the path to where i'm at and still like mistakes i've made in practice things i 
you know, foo-fooed or overlooked that down the line, I'm like, maybe I should have looked at that a little bit, you know, clearer. So that's what led me to where I'm at today. And um, how I kind of look at things now is that you have to look at the person as a whole. Like you can be so dialed in to purely movement, but miss what else could be going on in this person's life that could be feeding the issue. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to be treated. It just means you have to listen. Like as a practitioner, as a therapist, as a strength coach, as a trainer, ultimately the goal is to take the person in front of you and listen to them and understand that there's multiple things going on and what's the goal that they have in mind and how can I help you're not going to fix them. Like that's the thing is people understand is no one's going to come in here and fix you. They can only be a guiding, guiding light and a support system to help you get to your goal. Uh, and essentially I had to learn that I, I, as the, as most doctors tend to get is that ego of like, I want to fix, I want to do this. And then you start to realize is like, you're, you're, you're just helping. You're uh, an educator, you're a support system, you're a person that can aid, but you're not fixing anything. It's up to the person to fix themselves. Yeah, well, it's such an interesting you know, journey that you've been through and people listening, Eric Goodman, the foundation training founder, you know, his journey started with his own back injury and it's very powerful when he still to this day shows MRIs and his back is still jacked. But, you know, the the movement practice has taken the pressure off the nerves so he's able to function, you know, completely. But I heard, I'm going to give credit to um, the podcast you did with the Kung Fu practitioner here in Orlando. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was her name? Um, Mimi, Mimi Chan, or yeah, Mimi Chan, like great people, great family. Beautiful. So I want to kind of give a shout out because she asked you a fantastic question and I want to make sure I ask you the same one so we get your response here too. When I hurt my back, which took me to a good chiropractor, thank goodness, out my own pocket, none of that was covered by workman's comp, you know, God forbid that you actually see a back professional. Um, and, uh, then I've, that took me through to foundation training, which ultimately healed my back with no surgery, no meds, just, you know, lots and lots of pain and hard work, but was able to get back and, you know, deadlift and all that stuff after. Um, a couple of friends of mine from my department out in California have both had back injuries and they both immediately kind of got siphoned into the surgery. And I've watched them in this helter skelter of continuous surgeries and, you know, pain management. And it's just, it's, it's, absolutely crushing watching these you know strong men now be completely debilitated be living on the bed basically be you know in tears and all this stuff um but she made a very good point about being defined by your injuries and i'd love to kind of unwrap that a little bit you hear people cling on to that as an identity oh you know well yeah but i've got a i've got a you know whatever see this and l that and and that becomes their thing I had the same exact thing. And like I said, it was a very painful, emotionally, um, you know, crushing journey to go from not even be able to get out of bed and hold my son back to fully functioning firefighter. But I think that some modern me medicine practitioners foster that. Oh, you've got fibromyalgia. Oh, you've got this, you know, oh, you've got, you know, this GI thing. You're for now ever going to be an addict on these medications. So what are you... What's your perspective on on that and how how do we get people to let go? Because those people I talked about, they were so indoctrinated, I don't think they ever even tried foundation training. Not not with any certain diligence at least. Yeah. I mean it's it's a it's a difficult thing because um 
ultimately we're taught authority of like you 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 hear from a doctor it must be right uh so that as well as um the identifying stuff is some people just want answers like some people want i have this why and the answer is there's a multitude of reasons um but as long as they think i have the back issue i i identify with the back issue i just want it to go away and sometimes the easiest answer is for somebody to say if you just we go in there, we fix it. Or we, you take this, you take that. Once again, it comes down to the same realizations that sometimes that what you're doing in life, the decisions that you're making in life, whatever it is, can lead to that situation. Sometimes there's traumatic injuries, like you know, a fall, uh, an injury that happens, an accident. You have no control over that. It's going to happen. But when it comes down to just things that accumulate owning up to the fact that it's happening and then reframing the mind to a point that it does not define me, that it, I do not have to live with this situation. Like I have, there are things that I can do to change the outcome of this. Um, and for the most part, it's yes, empowering people. Granted, a lot of times you, you go to certain doctors and not to any fault, it might just be their knowledge base. It might be multiple like other things, but ultimately, you are the patient and their business is derivative of you coming in and coming back. So there was a, a quote that, you know, like, I don't, I'll butcher the quote, but there was like a Chris Kresser mentioned the quote on a, a Rogan podcast. And I think he's mentioned it a few other times. Um, but if your life depends upon and your business depends upon a certain outcome, you may not look otherwise, like you may not look in other positions. So in terms of that, like if I'm told that, the way to get out of my pain is this, and it's from somebody I respect or from a belief system in which I grew up on, it's natural to automatically accept it or think of that. But now you, there's a lot of information out there that can show that there's multiple things that you can do to help your situation out. Now, in terms of the identifying aspect, it also turns into the fact that does you having back pain, does that give you attention that maybe you wanted down the line so it it turns into sometimes the excuses we make or the decisions we make have other reasoning um but if you look at the situation frame your mind in a, a fact that's like this is not going to be the end result like there's got to be other ways out there i can take control of my own destiny i can take control of my own situation that's going to be the best thing you can do for yourself because mindset overruns everything. If I believe that this thing is going to be the rest of my life, something I deal with, it's going to be in my mind the rest of my life. It's something I'm going to deal with. If I'm, you know, putting my handicap sticker full on in my car and driving around with that thing, staring me in the face on a consistent basis, if that's what you see and that's what you believe, it's going to be there. So if you can get out of the, the, the poor me, the I'm a victim, the that mentality, and then take control over the situation and say, no, like my decisions, something or there's something I can do to help my situation out. And that's going to lead you to seeking out other things like foundation training, um, leading you to maybe look at your life and figure out like, are things I'm doing right now contributing to health or are they contributing to disease? Can I maybe change some of these things right now? You don't have to be perfect. Like 
you don't have to go from this to the ideal person that doesn't ever eat a carb or doesn't ever sit on their on their ass and watch TV or do this like small steps. Um, that was one of the things that uh, the functional medicine course with Dr. Supia talks about is triggers. Like what are small triggers that you can remove from your life because they all accumulate. But if you can make small changes, that has a huge impact. And just surrounding yourself with people that aren't going to baby you or like say that, oh, it's okay. Yeah, you have the back. No, be around people that are going to say, go do something. Like go seek out exercise. Go seek out this information. And don't you don't have to chase things, but just realize that there's other options out there as opposed to just surgery and drugs. Um, luckily, we're in a situation where there's a lot of information out there where you can see that happening. And there's a lot of people that have healed themselves or gotten out of, gotten out of situations in which um, they thought were dire uh, or thought they needed surgery and exercise was the way or nutritional changes were the way or breathing strategies were the way. Um, but as long as you go into it mentally with the mindset that I'm not going to let this thing take me out and you allow yourself the ability to heal and look at yourself and go, eh, maybe I, I can make some changes. Uh, I think you'll be in a better position um, because yeah, like, like that situation is so many people you talk to, I, I'm a, I've got a disc issue or I've, yeah, I've got, I've got this, like it's a conversation piece and it shouldn't be like, uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, like you can relate to certain people, but everyone's got a disc issue. Everyone's got this issue. I was like, oh, yeah, it's my 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 fibromyalgia is not why I can do that. It should not be a conversation piece. Like it's the same as when people and therapists talk about like emotional dumping and everyone relating over their traumas that's happened in their childhood. It's It's great to realize that other people have had it, but it's not a healthy thing to identify with it. Like it's not a, a healthy thing to make that who you are because um, in the long run if it identi- if you're identifying with it you're never going to overcome it because it's going to be a part of you and it's okay to take away that and be like this doesn't define me I'm a I have a multiple other things that I can be defined by um, but yeah it's, it's an interest it's a very interesting topic and you hear it you hear it quite a bit and you sometimes start to realize that certain people just don't want to get better and uh not because in their mind they don't but because maybe that injury gave them some sort of identity or gave them the attention they they thrive for and unfortunately it's scary that if i lose that then maybe who am i after that it's it's i don't know it's it's a weird it's a weird topic no it's a fascinating topic though and i think that's it as you said there's no one answer um, and, you know, I, I've heard some amazing stories like, for example, one obesity study, this woman, oh, super short cliff notes, she ended up doing really well. They're basically given IV nutrients. She was like the rock star of the class, ended up falling off the wagon, putting all the weight back. And it wasn't until one, you know, very uh, um, observant researcher started asking her about her background that they found out that she was molested as a child. And so she didn't want to be attractive. So there's the root of that obesity, you know. So there are these layers, but it's not complicated. You just got to put the work in and, and you know, look at it. But I had two kind of opposing things with, with the, um, you know, the modern medicine um, element. When I was young, I was told I was colorblind. And they basically wrote me off 
including firefighting. And for years and years and years, till my late 20s, I believed them. Never occurred to me like, hey, I can see colors. Maybe I'm not colorblind. I just don't see them as well as, you know, fashionista X. Um, conversely, when I hurt my back um, and I'd kind of gone down a little bit more of a, a functional medicine path and you know, ex-phys and, you know, collegiate athlete. Well, a collegiate athlete. Yeah, technically I was a collegiate athlete, actually. Um, when I was literally told by a PA that, you know, basically meds and surgery and he ordered me to take the meds. And this guy was morbidly obese. He was, I mean, I wrote about this in the book. I wrote about, you know, foundation training as well. He was winded coming from his office down the hall to me. And it, I just took a step back. I'm like, why the fuck would I listen to this guy about health? You know, and, and it gave me a good, good, strong aha moment. And I started the very, very painful, emotionally and physically painful journey of getting back to where I needed to be. But it's exactly like you said, you know, you have to question who you're taking your information. No better example than now. You know, if, if you're getting your information from TikTok about, you know, the vaccinations or whatever, maybe <laughs> maybe you need to take a step back and find people that you truly know, walk the walk, who you trust, and then ask two more people like that. And where the Venn diagram overlaps, that's where the truth is for your own journey. Yeah, I mean, the weird thing, I've, I've had this discussion with people in the past is for some reason, everyone gives their opinion and their recommendations about health, no matter their qualifications. For some reason, if I were to say, uh, I need an a, a answer about an accounting question, there's very few people that, are going, that aren't accountants. They're going to be like, oh, you know, the, this, 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 or that. But for some reason, the most complex thing out there, the human, the human health and human physiology you go and say, I have a back issue, everyone's an expert. Uh, and it's the same thing. It's like we are so keen in taking advice from people that have zero knowledge on the subject. I mean, granted, everyone wants to – they get excited about if they are if they were able to get help from certain things and they want to help. But I think it is – it's like you have to look at where are you getting your information from? Like who is telling you this? Like what's their qualifications? Like and interpret that with a grain of salt because there are even doctors out there, like you, like you were saying, like, do they practice what they're preaching? Are they somebody that's dedicated their life to finding knowledge about that topic? Are, is there any type of reasoning they're telling me this? Like there's all these things you got to look at, but it is, it's funny because health and hu anything human related, be it health, be it whatever, there's, it's so complex. There's so many factors that come into play. And if you're, you know, taking advice from somebody, if they said, here's the guaranteed way to get rid of it, it's always, it's always a red flag when there's like, this is how you get rid of it because it should be like, Hey, it depends like that. No one wants to hear that. But when somebody's like, Hey, what do I do for my back injury? It's like, it depends. Like there's multiple factors that come into play. Uh, your issue could be, Hey, I'm on a bike and my back hurts it could be the bike. It could actually be the the equipment or it could be you're out of shape. It could be movement quality. It could be sleep. It could be nutrition. It, there's so many things that could contribute to pain or injury that you have to be weary when somebody says this is the way. Uh, the, the way it should look at is somebody going, well, let's look at you as a whole. You as an individual, what's going on in your life? 
like what's happened in your history, like you're saying the molestation in terms of obesity, what is driving your behavior? Um, these are all factors that need to be asked and a lot of times are overlooked um, because you're in and out a lot of times with doctors or in certain situations, they only have so many much time because the way the healthcare system works, it's like you have to kind of churn people in and out to to make ends meet or pay your bills or whatever. So the hard part is, is like getting the time, getting the information, realizing as if you're a patient that yes, a lot of things are relevant that you may not think are relevant. Uh, your past history, like, um, you know, even if it's the sicknesses, like, do you, have you been on antibiotics lately? Have you, you know, do you have current infections that could be that you've gotten having to take antibiotics? It could affect your gut microbiome, which can affect this, which can affect that. So I think once you start realizing that everything matters, um, in your life and all of the things can help be contributing factors to certain injuries, and you're getting listened to, like that needs to be the thing is like, do you have a physician that listens? Do you have a physician or therapist or somebody that looks at you as a human being and realizes that multiple things are going on in your life, that asks certain questions, that cares, that is going to take the time to do some research, that's not gonna automatically say, here's what it is, um, and this is what we're gonna do. Like if they automatically know what they're gonna do before they assess you or take your history or ask you questions, that's an automatic, like, you know, step back, whoa, okay, hold on. Like, what's make, what's driving this decision? Is just because that's the only thing you know how to do? Or is it because, you know, like all those things need to be, you know, taken into account. And a lot of times people just wanna be listened to. Like, I've had people come in, debilitating pain, issues going on, and then just being, listening to them talk and let them talk through the things that's going on in their life or, you know, feeling comfortable and safe with you, they're like, oh, the pain's gone. And you're like, well, okay. So, I mean, sometimes it is just that. And it's sometimes it's not as simple as that. But, like, just saying that they're, you as a human want, you want to feel safe. You want to feel comfortable. You you don't want to feel judged. Um, no, nah, but you also need to be ready to hear things that you might not want to hear, like when it comes to obesity, like there's a lot of talk about, you know, like fat shaming or this out there, but sometimes people are not saying you're a bad person because you might be overweight. They're worried about your overall health because you're overweight. And it's, there's a, there's a way to love yourself and be comfortable with yourself, but also love yourself and realize that I need to make some, you know, some, some changes in my life not because I don't think I'm beautiful and worthy, but because I do think I'm beautiful and worthy and I need to save myself from getting into, from dying at a young age or uh, getting sick and not being able to be there for others. But like, uh, like you said, like you need to look for people that have been there, have been in the arena, have uh, experienced multiple things, t walk the walk, talk the, you know, talk the talk. Um, like they don't have to be the perfect specimen, but at least, try like at least be someone that's going to look at a human and not just the thing absolutely and it's funny because that's that's basically mirroring what we talked about with the kids you know in, in in some of these schools where i think they do it a lot better is they just look at the whole person as well and i think an important 
um, lens, and I talked about this, I'm going to talk about it all the time, but, you know, there's there's the ownership. Again, we're talking about polarization. Oh, you know, hey, fat person, if you just get up and eat lettuce and run 10 miles a day, then you'll look like me and you'll have abs. And then you have the other side, the victim mentality, where, oh, it's the system, blah, blah, blah. And the answer is both. But the ownership is very important, but we're also a product of our environment. And right now, if we're in a nation that allows people to peddle chronic disease meds on our television and allow you know sales rep after sales rep to cut the line while you're waiting to actually be seen at the doctor that you're paying for then you know what do we expect and you know what we end up with is you know 70 percent morbid obese or overweight we we have a you know public's parking lot full of disabled stickers with really able-bodied disabled people leaping out while the wheelchair bound have to park to the back you know i mean we've created an environment for victims for ill health and then we turn around and act like you know you're selfish if you're not buying into whatever during this last year and a half well i disagree you know we need to create an environment where in my opinion the functional health element is the the bulk and then we can allow the specialists the trauma you know, the emergency medicine the trauma medicine these elements of modern medicine that are phenomenal and allow them to thrive but prevention rather than cure and it's not we, we've, we've created a bunch of drug addicts but it's not i mean there are heroin and all those you know but also we've got statins and all these things that people are being told you're gonna be on this the rest of your life well why we know diet and exercise can reverse so many conditions. That is the worst message you've allowed this country to buy into. And you wonder why they trust doctors and end up dying. And as a paramedic, I can testify that all those meds don't keep you healthy because I'm handed a bag of them over a corpse at the end of the call. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it, the product of the environment is a, is a different thing. Cause um, if I'm told like, but it's natural, if I'm told that, I don't have to put in effort and yet this could be the outcome. You're not going to, like, you're not going to put in like the effort, but like, I think it, it does need to be like some of those meds have a time and a place. Like where if there's a, a very ideal con- situation where it's like life or death, all for it. But when we're relying upon them, which happens to be the situations where like we're in, it does. It does lead to people feeling that I don't need to put in the effort. I don't need to put in the work. Um, I can eat whatever I want. I can do blah, 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 as long as this keeps my cholesterol levels at this. Um, but I think there's also just a night, uh, there's no definitive what health is. Like, is healthy just being on meds and your your numbers being fine? Or are you either looking at how you feel? Like, how are you able to do the things you want to do? Like, are you able to play with your kids? Are you able to, you know, pick up and do activities you want to do? And I think there needs to be that honest conversation with people that says, yes, it's going to be work. It's going to be difficult. Like, it's going to be, there's going to be times of uncomfortable situations. You may, you know, have to, you know, delay gratification and not eat like a like a child uh per se on a consistent basis so i like but you're seeing more and more people shaming people for having those honest conversations and not wanting people to feel uncomfortable or to feel this or to feel that uh which is hindering uh i think, think people's health in the long run like if you have an honest conversation with somebody and they tell that you care and that you truly are worried about their overall health and tell them like, yes, 
what you're doing right now is not good. Like you see what's going on out here. You see the, the people dropping dead. You see the obesity. You see the heart disease. You see all these things that are killing people way before pandemic stuff was happening. But yet nothing's changing. Like the conversation uh, is not happening. And it, and it shouldn't have to come from the government. Like that's the thing is when people are saying they're not talking about this, this and this and that. Well, like we shouldn't be relying upon the government to tell us that like if we don't want them to, to, to meddle in our lives and all the other aspects like the last thing i'm going to go to is like thinking that my politician should tell me that diet and exercise and you know meditation and going outside and all this stuff is what's going to help me like and it's been said before but you once again you have to be willing to hear it like the message has been said over and over and over again from some of the functional medicine doctors, from trainers, from other doctors, uh, from podcasts will be talking about it. Like it's out there, but it comes down to the point that you need to be open to hearing the message. And sometimes people don't aren't open until shit hits the fan and they're injured or they've been diagnosed with a certain thing or you have this life threatening uh, disease or incident that comes about. Like, unfortunately, you have to sometimes hit that bottom to then realize the things you've done. Um, but that shouldn't mean that you don't keep on trying to push the message. And all you can do is speak it and show it and be a beacon of what you can do and what health could be like. Like I turned 40 two days ago and I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life, not just because of exercise and diet, but because I also dealt with the other issues that were holding me back. And I think there is this, this thought process that age automatically equates to lack of movement or a lack of ability to do something, or I'm going to start hurting when I wake up in the morning because I'm 35 now. That's why my back issue is a play. And I, I think if you start adding ownership on people, like accountability is key. Like you are responsible for your health. I am not responsible for your health. Your mom's not responsible for your, well, maybe when you're a child, she is, but like, but like in terms of things, like it's quit putting blame on others, quit playing the victim, quit playing whatever thing you're playing and realize like Jocko says, extreme ownership. You have to take ownership in your, in your decision-making and your health and whatever things you need in life. And it, yes, it's a smack in the face and it's hard to hear and it's, it's a good thing that you can realize that what you do can dictate your health, but it's also a scary thing that you start to realize, oh, I did this much and that's why I am where I am. Like it's so much easier to blame, you know, Pringles or whatever it is for making me fat. But it's like you you ate the damn things. Like your decisions you made led you to where you're at. But knowing that the decisions you made led to where you're at, also realizing that the decisions and the actions you take now can lead you away from that like it's not a it's not a death sentence it's not a it's not a thing that you have to carry around like you have the capacity to change like if you realize that you have the ability to change whatever situation you're in it just takes work it takes accountability it takes ownership it takes support and it takes the right direction but it can be done and i think when you start to realize that you don't need to be you know, some famous athlete or this or that to get those results that anybody has the ability, I think it starts to give you that hope. I think really that's what people want is hope and support 
and you know a little bit of guidance in the right direction um but then it's up to you you have to be the one that takes takes that realm and and goes with it some people do and then some people unfortunately will never be open to seeing that Uh, and you just also have to realize that and it's sad uh it's hard to watch but i mean it's the it's the reality of the situation but yeah like we got to stop blaming and take take responsibility Absolutely. Well, one of the tools that's always worked well for me um, when I was in LA, I think it was in Thousand Oaks, I believe. I had an amazing osteopath and I trained in shootbox in LA, which was, I've talked about this before, but the, the closest thing I've ever been in fight club. I mean, it was, I had very little skill and used to leave with all kinds of injuries and they would reset my knuckles, my jaw, my ears. I mean, you name it, everything that was, you know, not shaped the way it's supposed to be, they kind of put back. Um, and then my chiropractor um, was incredible after my back injury. And again, there was a lot of um, traction and exercise assignments. He's the one that led me to foundation training. So then Eric's practice absolutely saved my back 100%. Um, but then there's a dark side to chiropractic, I think, from what I'm seeing, where there's an attachment to um, law firms. So I would love to kind of talk about the dark side first and, you know, kind of how did that happen in the chiropractic world? And then let's talk about how people can find a chiropractor that's not only, you know, morally ethical, but also maybe has spread their wings a little bit more when it comes to the movement practice side so they can address the imbalances that even cause that subluxation in the first place. I mean, where the the dark side of how that happened, I mean, I I do not know the exact history in regards to it, um, but I can see say that in situations uh when you have people that are you have a business and you're trying to keep that business going and you you get approached uh with an opportunity and it can lead it could be like not saying that some of these things aren't good there are quality people that are you know you know treating people with car accidents and you know accidents itself but um when certain people who might have unethical decision-making or uh, other things in their mind or ideas or goals that they have um, get approached with, you know, that situation where there was, there was a money cow, like money was being thrown left and right. Um, I know specifically, you know, in Florida, it was a big, it was a big practice definitely in Florida. Um, And it's been, dealt with a little bit here and there but like yeah if you if you have a business and you're trying to make it last sometimes people make decisions that aren't the greatest they aren't the ethical most most ethical and then you get stuck in it and then sometimes it's hard to get out of it like i can't account for any of these guys decision making i don't know what situations they're in i don't know why they did what they did um just know that they did it and the situation was very bleak and it does bring a, a a dark cloud over the profession. Um, but then again, also you got to realize that other professions, all professions have dark clouds in them. Um, so you, you can't just, you know, clump everything together because certain people do um, shoddy judgments and make decisions and actions that are a little bit shady. Um, but yeah, you just where yes, it, it did occur. Uh, Sometimes you just got to make sure you don't get caught up in it. And like it, it never interests me. Like I, I was right out of school, 
had a few times where I had to deal with some of those those patient bases or, you know, was given those patients or asked to work on those patients um, when I wasn't purely in my uh, my own practice. And you tend to realize it's it was ne- it was never something that I wanted to do because at any time you put someone's health and you put a monetary possibility of gaining money by not getting better it's going to be very hard for someone to want to get better. Uh, so if my disability or claiming of disability uh, brings a bigger check uh, and I'm someone who needs money at the time, it, I mean, who's to say like if they have people to feed, like I, I don't, I get it. But um, it was never something that interested me. Uh, granted, did I work with some people that were in accidents? I would, as long as there was not some sort of, case involved there was not some sort of thing if they were just purely wanting to get better um i would take that one on here there but very rarely um but like i said like i don't know i don't know what what was going on in those guys lives or what 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 led them to those decision making skills uh in terms of getting into that that realm um and like anything you sometimes get in a position it's hard to get out of it um but in terms of like if i'm if somebody's asking me, I, I'm going through this, uh, do you recommend a certain doctor or what to look for? Um, first of all, like I say, look for somebody that's once again, asks the questions, like they're interested in you as a person, they're going to ask questions that are related to multiple different things. Um, somebody that's, if you look into their office or you're in the waiting room or you're filling out paperwork or whatever it is, and you kind of see that everyone is getting the same thing or they're not really getting seen very well or whatever type of thing is going on. It may be a flag in your head that goes, you know, like what's this person's, you know, philosophies, what's this person's, um, you know, practices, how, uh, why do they think the way they think? Granted, you know, they're, if they're working with other people and maybe that's just one aspect to do, that's one thing, but they should be willing and open to looking at someone coming in and not automatically creating the plan right then and there. They should assess you. They should have conversations with you. They should ask what you're doing. What are your, what your goals are? What's your lifestyle like? What, you know, what are past things that is going on, uh, that's happened in your life, um, all those are things that are going to show you that at least the person cares and at least the person is looking at you as a, as a person, uh, in terms of practices, like what they do, either they should be willing to work with other people that if they don't have the knowledge base of doing something, at least have somebody that they're willing to refer to or mention some things like exercise and nutrition and, look at how you move and ask you what you do on a daily basis and truly assess you as opposed to just kind of taking you through the motions. Um, yeah, I mean like it should be incorporated some sort of exercise, some sort of movement, either not in the office or at least mentioned somewhere there should be talked about. Um, but granted, you know, some of the times where, you know, an adjustment can be a, a very powerful tool for certain people. Um, and that should just realize it. It's a tool. Like if you're ever made to feel bad about yourself for not getting adjusted or they're trying to fear base you into 
thinking that if you don't get this, you're going to get some disease or you're going to get this, you're going to get that. Like anything fear-based should, should be a red flag as well. Um, but just, like I said, do your due diligence, like understand your body, understand what you're going through. Um, ask around other people and how their experiences were. Um, seek out, you know, other professionals that can give you an opinion um also know that sometimes if you go to see somebody and if they truly care about you they may say i'm not the one for you and that and that is that to me i think is a great thing is when somebody truly has a conversation and goes we're not a fit and it doesn't mean that you're a bad like you're a bad patient it just means that's an honest to god conversation that says what i do and what you want do not fit. I don't want to waste your time and your money uh, or I don't want to waste my time. Um, that's also like being able to refer and realize that you may need something else besides them is something that you should look at, at too. So if, I mean, yeah, like it's, it's like anything. If you go to a lawyer and automatically they're like, yeah, take the case. Like you should be like, whoa, have you, did, did you listen to the case? Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Did you listen to, to anything I just said? If it's if, if they're that desperate for patients, then then or, or you know clients, then it's like okay, like what are they going to be giving me? Um, but then again, like I said, just don't don't base your your opinion on a profession based off of one incident, because like every profession, there's good and there's bad. Um, just don't group it don't group it into all chiropractors or this or all doctors or this it's everyone's got their own thing and uh you should give try to give everyone a chance in terms of that absolutely well i got one more area and i'll go some closing questions if you still got time oh yeah let's go beautiful um so you are known as the movement mechanic um and as you said you could be in a perpetual student as you can see the bookshelf behind me i think we share that um and, uh, you know, some of the classes I took, I did obviously foundation training. I did, um, Ido Portal's Movement X it's for the same idea. You know, some of the kettlebell classes trying to immerse and again, absorb what is useful, discard what is useless. So what are some of the tools when you have someone come in and you know, no specific diagnosis, but what are some of the movement practices that you lean into as an adjunct to the adjustments that you're doing? Uh, well, I mean, uh, when somebody comes in, it all depends uh, on, goal uh with the goal uh, and what do i find the assessment um in terms of practices um when i take stuff one of the things i was taught a long time ago was to take stuff in terms of courses and information and kind of understand like deconstruct it and understand what those things are addressing like what are they what are the things that those movements those techniques those exercises what do they do like in terms of physiology, in terms of movement, in terms of this? So when you know it as that, um, it makes it so much more powerful because your assessment can be so you can find via your assessment the tool that can hit that kind of thing. But also being aware that that might not be the right fit at that time for someone. And that's kind of where I think learning all these things, uh, such as like foundation training from animal flow to function range systems in terms of their, you know, function range conditioning and the releases to, um, you know, neurodynamics, all these things, it's learning of what are they're trying to accomplish? What are their principles? How does that fit in? 
And then when you know that, it gives you the ability to say, the in assessment, this is something that I can address with this person to get said goal that you're trying to get. Because um, if you if you just take, I think I sometimes find when you take all this stuff, which is very, when you take so much, it's like, oh shit, it's all, there's all this jumble in your, in your mind. Um, it's sometimes you get caught up in just applying the exercise without knowing why you're applying the exercise. Uh, but like if you take those things and you deconstruct the crap out of it, like you really understand what they're doing, what this is trying to, what changes this makes, what, um, what aspects can this address? You can now say so-and-so I can tell needs to be able to learn how to get into their hips and learn how to hinge, learn how to load, learn how to do this. You can throw in foundation training. That could be a good tool, like a good tool you can use for that. And then integrate them into said training, like kettlebells and progressive load and progressive progressing into other activities. Um, but that's been the, the biggest viewpoint for me too, is realizing, okay, I've learned all this stuff, but then relearning it again in a way that better organizes your utilization of said things. And Try not to take it as a technique or a thing, but as a tool that you can use in the situation uh, that's dealt dealt to you. But also know that sometimes they need to be regressed and you might need to do something else. Or sometimes it could just be purely, let me teach this person how to calm down and breathe. Because uh, that, in terms, can have a huge effect on all other aspects. So I think that's been, in terms of the movement mechanic kind of thing, It's it's been realizing that you need to really understand the tools you're using and how to apply them. Um, Because if not, you're just creating a a big slew of things you've learned or a a slew of certifications you can hang up on your wall and really not do them any justice or do the person that's coming to you any justice if you're just trying to vomit said exercise into said person. Yeah, and that's a very powerful message. Reverse engineering element is something I do a lot you know, myself and on the show, you know, how do we get to this obesity epidemic? Or, you know, why do we have so many homeless and addicts and that kind of things you can reverse engineer to a very obvious route. Um, But it kind of reminds me of CrossFit. I started, I think it was 14, 15, 16 years ago, whenever it was. Um, And, you know, back then it was a main site. And then fast forward a few years, I started coaching. And now looking back, you know, the mistakes that we made and they were, they were innocent mistakes and they were using, you know, with the best knowledge we had at the time. But it was just like you said, it was cues for the sake of cues. Now, fast forward to 2021 and we've got great gymnasts teaching the gymnastic side and great Olympic lifters teaching the Olympic lifting side. Now, now are people really understanding, you know, especially on the movement imbalance? I mean, excuse me, the muscle imbalance element. It's not a cue. Hey, don't put your knees over your toes. It's like, can you even? Will your body allow you to sit in that squat? You know, so it's been interesting watching that metamorphosis. But I mean, it makes perfect sense to me. Like the more, again, knowledge is power. You know, the more we learn, the more we pull out the things that we need. But what you said is is huge, like understanding why. And I think, you know, a lot of us are guilty of that. You know, we just take the courses and that's it. And we're not really thinking about the origin and how you can apply that to, you know, whichever athlete walks through your door. Yeah, I mean, and that's the key is like it, you can have tons of tools, but if you don't know how to use the tools or when to use the tools, you just have a toolbox. Like, I mean, you may have just wasted money just, you know, 
compiling information and certifications. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, like not knowing how to use it. When you come in with cues and understanding that, you know, saying one thing to one person, they get it. You say that same thing to somebody else, they don't get it. Like, so understanding that certain things don't work with everyone and like, be it cues, be it uh, an exercise, be it a, a, a treatment, you know, like thing. It doesn't necessarily because it worked with one person doesn't automatically mean that it's going to work for everybody. And sometimes you're going to mess up. The only way to learn is by messing up. Unfortunately, it doesn't matter what practice you're in. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. You're going to mess up uh, and it's going to happen. And hopefully you learn from those mistakes and then figure out ways to like not repeat them. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest thing is the getting in, getting in your own way and realizing, thinking that my one, like my thing is the only thing. Cause if you do that, you're going to probably not get the results you want to get. And in the long run, you're just going to sound like an asshole. Um, because you're going to be like, for, you're going to be forcing stuff in and that and it comes down to the same thing is understanding and letting go of the ego so that you can learn and become a better and become better at whatever you, you want to do. And just being open to being wrong or open to learning different perspectives from other people. Cause in the long run, all of these things should have the ultimate goal of helping someone. Uh, and they probably all have a origin of somewhere else that all kind of correlates with each other. So, but they, they're just maybe coming from it from a different angle. And that's the cool part is you can see the different angles uh, that people are coming from and the perceptions that they're viewing it from and their experiences that that draw in to why they're doing what they're doing and then take it and just like learn it and understand it and know that, you know, like why, why are they coming in with this and knowing that, okay, I can, like, the breathing aspect, like I said, like breath is one of those huge things that, people talk about left and right nowadays, but there's so many of them and it's knowing when to apply what technique for the right person, as opposed to just saying like, this is the one that's always on Instagram or I see it or it's catchy or, you know, whatever. It may not be good for most people. It just might be good for the demographic that's shown, but you need to know that, okay, just sometimes just the basics of, can you, breathe normally like can you get you know breathe into your posterior aspect of your ribcage to get you to that parasympathetic response can you just do that no well let's just work on that because that's going to be a driver for all these other things which may open up opportunities that were restricted before and then as opposed to trying to attack it with all these different things that could have been the one thing that you overlooked and it may have been the answer that opened up to that person so i think it's it is that realization of having tools but don't be so eager to use them until you've looked at the the person as a whole because it could just be something as easy as a uh, some duct tape you might not need the hammer a little bit of duct tape may have uh uh made the biggest difference in that specific session in that specific person so beautiful well thank you for that you know perspective i want to transition to some closing questions so i can let you go the first one i love to ask is there a book that you love to recommend it can pertain to what we've discussed today or completely unrelated uh i mean there's multiple books i've read but in terms of recently um 
one of the books that gave me a big moment was it's called awareness. It's essentially uh, it was something that I heard on another podcast and I just happened to have had the book for like four years prior and just never picked it up. Um, but it's just an easy to read, um, book. It's, it's a slap you in the face type of book too. Um, but in terms of overall, in terms of all the aspects I see in people's lives, being aware of what's going on, even if it's within movement, within emotional aspects, within your, your actions, I think it's a big key that could be very useful for most people. Uh, once again, it's an easy read, so it's not something that you're going to have to like take months to actually finish. Um, I just read a book, so it's recent in my head too. It's uh, The Courage to be Disliked. Um, was a very fascinating book. And I, I posted about it too a couple of days ago because I read it. Uh, and it kind of correlates to a lot of things you're seeing these days in terms of wanting to be socially accepted or liked or this or that. Um, but going into the same atmosphere of it being accepting of yourself and very, you know, aware of your situation uh, is key. And then also realizing that, you know, like you're not going to please everybody. Uh, focus on doing the good stuff for yourself uh, and most likely you'll be overall healthier and happier. Um, but it was definitely a book that um, opened my eyes to things. But I mean, I, I, books. I just, I love them. Like I, I read tons of them and I think there's certain books I've read that at the time gave me a huge thing and then fell back in the wayside. And then they're going to come back up again and be like, Oh, this is an important time for me to read this. So I think like anything books find you, uh, when you're ready to read them, they'll pop up at you. Uh, so yeah, but those are two that just off the top of my head, one, because I just finished it and the other, uh, I actually gifted to a lot of people. And so, yeah, the awareness one was pretty key. Beautiful. Well, thank you. And the courage to be disliked, that reminds me of a quote from Wayne Dyer. I don't know if you ever listened to any of his stuff, but one of his best quotes to me was, what other people think of me is none of my business. And I love that. If, you, if you're comfortable with who you are, you're not out there to impress or change other people's opinions. You're just trying to walk your walk. Yeah. And you'll be more apt to uh, taking care of those issues that you need to take care of if you look at it kind of that way and open to stumbling. If you're not so worried about what other people think, you're more apt to try things you've never wanted to try or more apt to stumble around and fail to get to the, the place you need to be. But if you're trying to be, yeah, some impress somebody else, you're going to put some mask on that you're doing just to impress it. And in the long run, it's not going to be a healthy thing. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, then the same question, but a movie and or a documentary. Oh, okay. Uh, movie. <laughs> well, recently, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that I need something that's just going to make me laugh and can sometimes be stupid. And a movie that I, I, I go back to on a consistent base, basis is Step Brothers. Because uh, it's just, I, I, I don't know, it's like, there's a quote from it that don't lose your dinosaur that really hit home in terms of um, a thing I believe in, in terms of like being an older person in age, but don't lose that curiosity and playfulness as a kid, uh, which I think, even though as stupid as it was in the movie, is a huge proponent of, uh, I think, people enjoying life. Don't take life so seriously. Like, it's okay to 
to just play around and enjoy it. Um, but that movie, Step Brothers, I love it. Quotable, quotable lines left and right, just stupidity. Uh, documentaries. Um, I mean, once again, this probably just because it's, uh, I just watched it. I watched the Val Kilmer uh, doc the other day. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was pretty profound, but there's a, a, a plethora of documentaries that are on my Netflix and Amazon Q uh, that, you know, I just gotta, I just gotta watch, but sometimes you just don't have the time. Um, but yeah, if I have a go-to movie, like if it's like, let me watch it, like and if Step Brothers is on, I'm not going to turn it off. <laughs> That's a firehouse famous uh, favorite too, definitely. Oh but- yeah. Any Will Ferrell movies in general, like back in the day are just going to, and even De- and Deadpool is the other one because it's the same thing. It's got some action. It's got some great comedy, some great lines. Some, I'm a, I'm a Ryan Reynolds fan. So like I, I will definitely uh, watch that. I watched it on the flight, actually on the plane when I was going to Peru. So Brilliant. Um, with Val Kilmer, am I right in understanding that he's actually in remission now after that cancer battle he had? Yeah, that. Uh, well, based off of the video, yeah, the he's in remission. Uh, the reason he has the tube is because of the radiation and a lot of the effects it had from that. So hopefully that will heal and he can get um, done from that. But I think, too, for me, that I'm, I was like I said, I was a big movie buff growing up. Like I was immersed I, still, like, I, I worked in movies. I worked in entertainment at a time uh, earlier in my life, and I'm still a huge fan of movies. And Val Kilmer, there's a movie called Real Genius back in the day that was one of my favorite movies back then that he was in. But like, he just was that guy that was in a few of the movies growing up. And watching it, it's kind of cool because you see footage of some of those old scenes and those old movies, but uh, at the same time, you're seeing him struggle through what he's going through. Um, but to look at it and view it in a manner in which like, yeah, he, he had cancer and he beat it, but he took this opportunity to then create this document or this film based off of his life and his learnings and um, to shed that love of art and acting and to maybe, you know, inspire somebody or to give somebody an opportunity to learn something or view it in a different way. And I think that's the one of the things that when it comes to health, people always look at exercise, diet and this, but movies and music and sporting events, all of these things contribute to overall health and wellness, like to have that ability to disconnect from what you're going to and, you know, immerse yourself in a film or, to see a movie that you loved as a child and it pop on and to go into that, to basically go back to that, that experience and relive those aspects. Like that's a powerful thing. So I, I'm, I'm one to believe that all of these things contribute to health, like art, music, all the beautiful things, like how a song can change your mood instantaneously or pump you up or, you know, take you here. So I think that's, that's the same. That's why I, I, I value these things in people. And like, I'll tell people, go have fun, like go play, go, go to a concert, go to a movie, plop, whatever it takes to get you into a place in which you can chill the F out and heal and enjoy the life. Go for it. But yeah, that's, it was very inspiring that, that documentary. Absolutely. I know his, uh, his, um, portrayal of Doc Holliday in Tombstone. 
Tombstone. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Oh yeah. I'll be your Huckleberry. That's like a freaking like the that quotable line. You're just like, oh, the guy. Uh-huh. And him and him is Jimmy uh Jim Morris in the doors, like Yes. Oh my god. Like I had like I had I got anxiety watching it because it was so good and like you almost felt like, oh my god, like stop drinking, stop doing this. Like you're you're gonna you're die. So <laughs> Because you, because uh, he just made that character so just realistic and brought like brought so much life and stuff to that character. It's like that's that's talent. That's once again, it's you. I respect people that are good at their craft and go all in and freaking do the work. Absolutely. Well, next question: Is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military, and associated professions of the world? Oh uh, man. Um, like I have a few people, like uh, as I said, like the Doctor Arasupia, the guy I just like uh, I learned from in terms of functional medicine. Like I could have just butchered his name, and I apologize if I did that. Um, but yeah, like he has a great perspective on how he views, and he's an ER doc who works in with functional medicine that also uh, implements Chinese medicine and implements all these aspects, and has had a, a wide range of experience. And just his viewpoints are very very intriguing it drew me to like taking the class from him um i think uh one of my friends dr james spencer he's out of florida he's a cairo um great perspectives had a lot of experience with uh you know with athletes as well as just a a viewpoint in terms of play and other things i i highly um you know admire i mean i'm trying to think I mean, you've already had some of the people I probably recommend already on the show. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think anybody that can give some sort of different perspective is going to be influential in terms of that, that crew. And those are two people that just came to mind. And I just spoke with James yesterday. Uh, so that's, I mean, he's just, he's got some fun, some fun things he, he implements in. Um, I also, there's a guy who's a, uh, Mitch Sadowski, he's a kettlebell, a strong first guy, um, you know, he's worked with a multitude of people. Once again, like he has a, a mentality and a mindset that's cool and different perspectives. Um, and he's like, those three are all in Florida too. So it, you don't have to worry about, you know, East coast, West coast time zones. Um, and I, I'll probably think of more and I could just send you, send you some text or some messages, but beautiful. Yeah, actually, um, Dr. Supia sounds fascinating to have that functional medicine lens in an emergency medicine position must be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And he has some very cool insights and, you know, he's, I mean, he's even done studies with like, he's gone with the, the certain tribes and saw how they implement and live. So like, it's not just a, a book study, like he's, he's done his work and he's put himself out there. So it's, and he just has a passion for helping people. And to me, like passion and true authenticity of wanting to help people, like it shines out. And I always think those are great people to hear from. Absolutely. All right. Well then the very last question before we make sure people know how to find you, what do you do to decompress if you're not climbing mountains in Peru? Ah, uh, well, the funny thing is I just, I'm starting to actually find hobbies. So before it was just work, but now like, yeah, it's hiking. It's, it's turning, getting outdoors in nature and getting hiking. It's, you know, I'm getting on the bike now and starting to, uh, learn mountain biking. It's walks. Um, 
all these anything anything outdoors anything right now that are outdoors that take me away from the hustle and bustle and yet at the same time still challenge me in some way i'm going to do and i'm learning like that's why i'm taking up rock climbing and taking up these certain things because they're challenging but at the same time they take you away from because you have to focus it takes you away from the, the hoopla um but just puts you in a cool space um other than that it's just playing around like if there's a ball somewhere i'm gonna pick it up and i'm gonna play it if there's a you know uh, uh an opportunity just to joke around with people i'm gonna do it uh i'm trying to get you know re- reestablish that childness that playfulness in me I'm trying to refine my dinosaur per se if that's the, if that makes any sense but um yeah that's my that's my go-to's as of as of now beautiful yeah i can relate i'm hoping that when i go to, to portugal once i'm hoping i've set it up so when i finally get there and i'm through all these restrictions i'm not you know doing any recording or anything i'm just gonna kind of reset because i think when you get immersed too deeply you do lose that child you're not fun you're not playful you just you know the weight of the world is on your shoulders so you know i'm leaving all the all the non-fiction behind taking a couple of novels with me and you know music and you know, my mum and uh, brother live right near the ocean in Portugal, and it will be just ten days of beach life. So I can't wait. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, like yeah, big proponent. Yeah, decompress, get away, and try not to get burnt out because it's easy to happen if you just do nothing but work. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure people listening are fascinated. I'm sure that you know they they want to learn more if they're in the you know LA area, maybe even come to your practice. So where are the best places online to find you? Uh, I mean, I, I have an Instagram account, uh, Dr. Chad Eldridge on Instagram. Um, I'm not, I don't post that often, so don't be surprised if you go on there and, uh, don't just see nothing but pictures of outdoor stuff. Um, but you can always message me via that. Um, that would be the main focus. I mean, I have a Facebook page, just Chad Eldridge. Um, you can message, message me there, or if you want to email me, uh, my email address is chad.eldridgedc at gmail.com. Um, and I'm always, I try to get to messages that are sent to me if I can, uh, as fast as possible. Sometimes they get lost, but, uh, I will try to respond in some manner. Um, and I'm mobile. So like, I don't have an office, uh, cause I, I, I've had one and I go crazy. So if you contact me via that, um, we can figure some stuff out and, you know, travel to certain areas. I do travel. Um, and I am in the process of developing some programs and retreats and things of that nature to kind of help facilitate people that might not be able to see me in person or work with me in person to give some, at least of my philosophies and my inputs out there. Beautiful. Well, Chad, I want to say thank you. We've been chatting for basically two hours now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's always, so valuable to hear different perspectives especially in, in you know i'm a big fan of the preventative world versus the reactive world and i did that for 15 years as a firefighter um i like the proactive approach people don't get killed or hurt in the first place so um thank you so much for being so generous with your time today oh, i appreciate it and thank you for having me on and let me ramble on about random stuff going on in my life too i appreciate it <laughs>